Hey guys, welcome to the Next Level Agents Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-host, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast all about getting to the next level. Sometimes we talk to real estate agents, sometimes brokers, sometimes people just in and around our space, and sometimes just entrepreneurs in general. But our point here is to talk to the brightest and the best and to pull gold nuggets out of them and bring them to you so that way you can take little actionable pieces of advice, sometimes big actionable pieces of advice and make your business even better and help you get to the next level. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, go over to ratethispodcast.com, ratethispodcast.com forward slash NLA, stands for Next Level Agents. And please leave us a five-star review if you have not already. All right, without further ado, welcome to today's episode. All right, uh, Next Level Agents podcast, we're back. And for third time officially, third Mr. Time. Nick McLean. Nick, how's it going, dude? It's going great. Yeah, third time here. I love it, man. The trifecta of podcasts is uh, is what we're at, or the hat trick maybe. Yeah, the hat trick. And you know, I'm sure you've had guests on there more than once, right, over the years. Because it's been over the years, probably once a year. Yeah, and it has. You, and you've been doing it for, did you say four years now? I want to say, I, I think I started maybe four and a half, because I feel like I started at the very end of 2018. I'd have to go back and look, yeah, but I think awesome. it was the end of 18. So we're going on four and a half, I guess later this year would be the fifth year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we keep, keep creating, keep growing. So it's awesome, man. I'm yeah. really excited to be here. Pretty well. Well, dude, speaking of creating and growing, you, um, you just put in a labor of love into creation in the form of a book, man, I would love to just, let's jump off there. Tell us about okay. the book. Um, tell me about the title, where we can get it, but I want to dig into, dude, why did you write it? Because I know that creating like that, right. Sitting down and writing a book is not an easy task for most people. Yeah. And it seems so overwhelming. Like, like the Grand Canyon of creations. Like at some point I want to write a book or I want a memoir or I want to leave something behind. And it seems really, really daunting. I had my CPA actually bought the book and we have a monthly call to go over our, my financials for my different businesses that I have. And he's like, before we get going, I want to know, how'd you do it? You know, how'd you do that book? And so um, here's, here's my story. So about four years ago, five years ago, actually, I was, I was running my real estate team and I had probably, I think, seven years of experience as my real estate team. And I opened a brokerage. So I'm an independent broker running under the team model. And I built it to a successful seven-figure net profit. So a net profit business. And um, I was coaching with John Sheplak at the time. And I still am. And he's a really good friend as he's a good friend of yours and partner now in a business called reside and we might talk about that later absolutely but he was like you know this is before john did courses i think he had the broker team profit machine course but he really didn't have a team course so we were like let's do a team course i was like awesome man my background in aviation i can build the system i'll do a course an online course and it was called millionaire team mastery the proven playbook to a seven-figure net profit team and we went big. We went to John's database, my database, and I had a decent following, not not big at all, nothing like John. And we filled a webinar. We filled it up. I mean, we had like a thousand registrations. I think 400 people showed up live, which is a pretty good number. That's good. Number. And, yeah. And you know, John's good at selling. He's good at courses. 
and one person bought it. One. And it was like, it was like $1,200 or a thousand bucks. It wasn't super expensive, right? And one person bought it over 12 weeks. So I was so demoralized. I was like, oh my gosh, I just built it all out too, Kevin. I flew people in and we shot all the videos. I wrote all the content and I just shelved it. It was in my Google Drive for years. So last year, John and I had been putting out some other courses, listing conversion course, buyer conversion course. And we were selling courses for $4,500 three years later. Like I took three years off because I was so demoralized and embarrassed, right? And we had some momentum. So I was like, you know what? Personal challenge, I'm bringing Millionaire Team Mastery back. So I, I dusted it off, I revised it and we launched that course and we sold quite a few of them, like quite a few of them. And I think the moral of the story is like, you just never know, you create and it goes in the time capsule and you break it back out. As long as you build it where it's not trendy, like an AI course won't be that, won't sell really well in 10 years. Right. But, but principle-based, so... So I, we did that course and it was 19 modules. Like it was 19 modules with 19, 30 videos under this framework. And I'm like, damn, this is a book. This is a book. All I got to change is the title to chapter and then write it. So instead of the video, write it out. Right? So that's, that's how, that's the origin story of the book. So you know, I took those chapters and then I just started writing every day, writing a chapter a day, basically, but it was more than that. It would probably take three to four days per chapter. And so I had this, I think I had 160 pages and I talked to Sammy Knight. I don't know if you know, Sammy Knight, uh, Kevin over in, uh, Remax broker owner, uh, has like 500 agents, lots of agents in Mississippi. Um, and really cool guy. He wrote a book. So I called him up. I said, Sammy, man, I'm thinking about writing a book. I know you wrote one. So can you help me out? I already have 150 pages. And he's like, Nick, you got to have over 150. Anything under 150 is a pamphlet and you don't want a pamphlet. You want like, if anyone's watching the video, you want like, here's the book. You yeah. want like, it to be bound to look good. I go, okay, good. Well, I need to keep writing. I need to keep writing. And, and so from there, it was just like this this like um, picking up the breadcrumbs on the trail, you know? And so I got onto Upwork. I go, I need help. And you and I are the type that we're like, we understand we don't know everything. Yeah. And like, and we need to seek out people that already have done this before. That's why we seek out coaching and mentors and things like that. So I was like, well, this is no different than real estate. Let me reach out to someone that does books. Well, who does books? I get on Upwork, book editors, right? So I get on Upwork and I find the very best book editor on the planet and I found her. Her name's Shandy and she is amazing. And I reached out to her. I said, I wrote a book and I want to hire you to edit the book. She gives me a call like late at night, like Saturday at like 9 p.m. my time Pacific. She's in uh, the Carolinas. Oh, man. Right. So I know, you know, these creative type night owl people. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She I go honey, my wife, I'm like, the editor's calling me right now. So I answered the call and she goes, all right, let me get this straight. You want a book editor? You already wrote a book. I was like, yeah. She goes, okay, you're going to, you don't hire me to feel good, to make you feel good. You hire me to, you hire me to look good. Are you okay with that? I'm like, you're hired yeah. <laughs> on the spot. 
because so many people write a book because they want it to, they want to feel good. It's like an ego thing, right? It's a feather in the cap. And she put me on the spot. Like, listen, do you want to, are you doing this just to say you did it? Or do you actually, are you actually doing it for the craft? Do you actually have something of substance? Are you ready to do this? Because if not, she's not willing to work with you. It's a great tech take back close too, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> this is a total take back close. So I was like, no, I'm all in. I will take the feedback. Right. And that's a hard one, Kevin, right? Like have someone read your, read your stuff and actually give you critique. So I said yes, but I really wasn't ready for it. Dude, I've written articles a lot and a decent amount, not a lot, a decent amount, maybe 20. And I'll tell you every single time the editor has come back and I'm always like, (laughs) you don't even want to open it. Like I'm opening one eye. Like, what did she say? Okay. okay. She doesn't. Oh man. I'm so bad at this. Yeah. I I can only imagine for a whole book. It's so interesting that accountability and, and do you really want to know the truth? Do you really, or are you really looking for someone to say that you're good? Right. Are you really looking for that? And it's a hard thing to do. It really is because I once hired a, I, I hired a personal brand person one time who, this was like my second year running my own company. I wanted to know what other people thought I looked like and presented like to the public. This is a weird thing, right? Like you think you know what people, how people perceive you, but do you really? So I hired somebody. She critiqued my dress my public reputation, my brand. She followed me around socially and, and was interviewing people in the community. This is my second year running my company. Jeez. And I remember going out to lunch with her and she's like, okay, Nick, you are, you ready? And she ripped into me for 30 minutes. You're uptight. You're hard to approach. You're cold. You're off-putting. You're intimidating. All of, all these things. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're killing me. And she finally said something good. And I said, and she go, thank gosh, it's been like an hour, half hour of you just berating me. And she goes, well, you didn't hire me to tell you the good things, did you? I go, I guess you're right. And Kevin, that changed my life. Really, it changed the way I dress. It changed the way I appear. It changed the way I talk. I mean, not to be ingenuine. I just wasn't presenting like my true self to, I was helping me emerge. So back to the book a little bit. Okay, so I hire this editor and she starts editing the book and it's like redline. You know, when you hire an editor, I thought she was going to give me ideas on where to expand and what to write. No, she's taking stuff out. So my book goes from like 160 pages to like 120. I'm like, oh crap, I'm now a pamphlet. So I go back to Shandy and I'm like, Shandy, She's like, okay, man, you got to go back in and write stories and you got to add, you know, I need you to expand here and go here. And so she really pulled out of me really good personal stories. One of the best things she did was I had lots of stories in there, but they were business stories and they weren't my stories. They were like the Nordstrom return policy and the, the Michael Jordan getting cut from his varsity team. Like, you know, those cliche stories, those weren't the ones in my book, but I had those in the book. And she challenged me and she said, Nick, I want you to do one personal story for every chapter. Personal. Because they cannot be debunked. 
They can't be debunked or third party. People are hiring your book, you know, buying your book for your expertise in building a real estate team. I want personal stories. So I went back and added those stories and that put me to that 220, 230 pages. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of the process. You go editor. And now once you get editor, you go proofreader. So then you hire a proofreader. And then you go proofreader back to the editor for round two. And then you go to another proofreader. This is her. This is all her. I didn't know any of this stuff, Kevin. A different proofreader because the first one's already jaded, already has a bias, already has a perspective, already has a spin. So you go fresh eyes, which is so glad. If I didn't have her, I wouldn't know the first thing about it. So let me ask you a question because one thing, I'm sure we talked about this too in one of the other uh, last two recordings we did, but you, you've gotten really good at, <clears throat> excuse me, copywriting. Yeah. It's completely different, right? Am I right about, yeah. and writing a story for a book and, and writing a book with like chapters and where you're, you're not, you know, you're trying to teach something here. You're not really, you know, I, I always thought of, I learned one way that like copywriting is, is letting the reader know you understand them. And then mm. when you're writing like this, it's more about getting them to understand you or a concept mm. in, a, in a case right. of a book. And so I know that they're different. Was that a hard switch for you to go from Nick, the guy who's been practicing copy and you've been doing it diligently, dude, for a long time and you've gotten really freaking good at it to now I'm writing to chapters of a book. Yeah. So yeah, when we get into real estate, when I got into real estate and I opened my own team and brokerage, you know, it's like, okay, now I need a market and you get into the Dan Kennedy's and you get into the, what we've talked about before, right? Long form copy, short form, long sales letters, persuasive speech. And then you get into social media, which makes ad copy even shorter and punchier and quicker and spacier, you know, more, you know, top down, get the, pull the reader down. And what happened, Kevin, was I started getting back into emails. So I started emailing my database. I got so those I don't, emails. You get those emails? Yes. Yeah. In fact, a lot of agents and team leaders from around the country were like, can you put me on your mailing list? So like half my database is like agents just reading my stuff. And so I started writing emails and they were longer and more formal as I started progressing. And I just started writing more like that, more like a blog as an email. And I was thought of it that way. And so I kind of got away from the ad copy, always selling because I eat last year, I emailed my database 265 times, right? If you read the red book, right? <laughs> it says 33 touch. I did 265. Damn. Yeah. 265. And when you email that much, you can't sell them every time. Yeah your unsubscribe rate will go crazy. So literally probably out of the 265, 230 were no, no call to action, no nothing. Maybe subtle, very subtle call to action. Like go to my website if you want, like if you want, like take that. So that was kind of the progression where I was writing a little bit more formally. Uh, and then when I got to the book and when you're, when you're building courses out, teaching somebody, training people, it's very technical. So I started writing very technical manual language. And I don't know if you, you remember, Kevin, I was a commercial airline pilot, mm -hmm. but I also worked in the office at the, in Miami, in Miami, Florida. I worked in the office for Focus Air Cargo. 
And I, I actually worked for them before they got their FAA certificate. So they weren't even licensed to fly when I was hired. And I sat in the office and proofread manuals, the maintenance manual, the flight ops manual, the training manual uh, for a year before I even stepped on the flight deck. So I, what I didn't know was I was I was learning technical writing just by proofreading. It sucked. It was a terrible job for a year. I would rather be flying, right? The whole time I'm like, this is never going to serve me ever in my life. And it did. And so I actually kind of pretty good at technical writing. So when I sent my first book to Shandy, she's like, it's really technical, isn't it? I go, yeah, <laughs> it's a technical manual. That's what it is. She's like, oh, okay, right? And so that's what happened is I got really technical and then I added the stories. Then I added a little bit more entertainment and engagement to it. It's awesome. Do you, did you enjoy the process? I did. I enjoyed the break from the emails. I enjoyed um, working on something big, you know, and challenging that will endure. You know, I was like, okay, but I got to complete it. Like a half finished book is a book wasted. Like I have to complete it. And so there's a lot of anxiety. Um, but I, I would recommend it to anybody. I mean, I think you're going to need six months. And I think you're going to need three to six months of editing. That's you don't understand that part of it. The other thing you don't understand is, you know, getting a, a book designer. So once you have it done, you hire a book designer. And a book designer is the person that designs the inside of the book. You know, does the chapter start on the left page or the right page? What's the font? What's the design, right? And so different things like that, because if it doesn't look appealing, and we know this from ad copy, right? If it doesn't look like you want to read it, you won't read it. Like ad copies that way. If it looks bulky and heavy and dense, it's like, I want to read that. But if you can make your sales letter like flowy and open and engagement, good headline and pull them in, you can draw them in. So it's the same thing with books. So in the book, I have like little, like um, she put in blocks, like mastery. Here's a tip, right? So you can kind of scan the page and go, here's a tip or here's a breakup. Or here's the bold. It's well worth every penny. Did you, let me ask you a question. Did you go out and study the books that you enjoy and try to like find a model or did yeah, you? So okay. for, for, for the book design I did. So the book designer is like, Hey, send me your top 10 books you like, you know? And things like that, that you enjoyed for sure. And I don't even recall which ones I sent her. So I remember, uh, do you know Jay Papazan? Sounds familiar. So he's co-author of like Millionaire Real Estate Agent and all the other books that Gary's- Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Jay's a professional writer. That That's what he does. Uh, and he's a, he's a very excellent one at that. And uh, for sure. I remember him telling me years ago, he told me a story one time. He just started working at Keller Williams and- like he was, I think, working for like KWU. He was designing courses. He wasn't, he wasn't Jay as we know him today. And he was, he was actually in the bathroom of all places. And Dave Jenks, who was Gary's co-author, who's our, you know, rest in peace, um, was in the bathroom at the same time. And he had a stack of books on him with him. Mm. And what Dave didn't know is that Jay had actually been a part of like, I think it was like three of the 10 books he had in his hand. Like Jay was an editor had credit for like in three, I think it was three of those books, wow. two of them being really famous body for life. And then, uh, Oh yeah, for sure. Why am I forgetting? I'm forgetting another one that like, if I said it, everybody's read it. 
um, you would go, oh yeah, that book. So Jay starts asking him questions because he knows like you're holding my books and or these books that I've worked on. And so Dave goes on to tell him, and I'm this is all, of course, you know, my based on my memory of a story 10 plus years ago, that basically Dave and Gary were getting ready to write Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And they were looking at books that had a, these were 10 books that had the flow or the model, if you will, Ooh. the way they wanted their books to go. And so Jay was like, you know, I actually worked on three of these. <laughs> and, uh, and so then, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Jay became co-author and has gone on to sell millions and millions and millions of books with them. Uh, with, and, uh, so I was, I, that's always stuck out to me because I know there are different flows. Like when I look at your book, mm. I think of one of my other very favorite books ever that's newer. It's called, uh, die with zero by Bill Perkins mm. and your book, even down to the color blue. Now your letters are white, his are yellow, but your book, if I put them on the bookshelf together next to each other, they look similar. Oh, wow. So I have a, I have a positive relation to that. And going, mm-hmm. next book looks like one I would read anyways, because I've got this great experience with this other book here. So I was just kind of curious if there was anything more behind like the design of the book. Yeah, there's something to that. You know, an interesting concept that I like that I got from Derek Thompson. Derek Thompson is a writer for The Atlantic and he has a podcast called Plain English and it's fantastic. Just fantastic. One of the smartest writers out there. And I follow him a lot. And he has a actually a TED talk, which is interesting about um kind of like novelty what what makes things sell and what makes what make what makes things trendy um and what he found was it has to have it has to both be familiar and new familiar and new so so what you're so i'll give you an example like look at the the ford bronco okay sold pretty well the Ford, yeah. the Mustang Eve sold pretty well. They're taking a brand, something you nostalgia, old design, old established, and making it new. And so that combination sells really, really well, right? And so anytime you can do that, it's a win-win. You don't want to be all new. You want also want to be familiar. So the book, if if that's true, Kevin, that's awesome, right? Because it's familiar. Yeah, it's new, and and so. Um, it's an interesting thing. I'll share that pod, that uh, TED talk with you. Please do. So, that, that's very interesting. I had not. I I mean, those things almost seem like they'd be competing, co- competing. But you're right, familiar and new. Like architecture, architectures that way. Lots yeah. of architectures that way. Lots of design is that way. And so look at look at motion pictures and cinema right now. Like old, like Marvel and these old superhero movies. Familiar and new. Right. So, so they, they nail that thing. And I think there's some of that in real estate and real estate sales. I don't, don't go to the rabbit hole on that, but I'm not that versed on it. I have to, I have to put some thought to it, but. That's, that's fascinating, dude. Yeah. So I did have some of my favorites, right. For sure. You know, and I also thought on the book, I go, I want the book to be something that you can, you, you want to reference, right. Each chapter is a part of a real estate team and a real estate business. So either a solo agent or a real estate team or a brokerage, right? So risk reversals, there's a chapter on risk reversals. There's a chapter on unique selling propositions and guarantees. So the marketing pieces, there's a chapter on, um, you know, values and mission, which is, which is overstated in a lot of books, but it's unique to the real estate industry in here. 
right? There's chapters that you're going to go to and go back to because you can't implement everything, right? I mean, this has taken me 12 years of running a team. I didn't implement all these at once. And the other thing that I had too, I've always loved the, the Dale Carnegie, you know, how to win friends and influence people principle that you shouldn't devour the book. Like, like step one of this book, don't read it in one sentence, in one setting, right? Read one chapter, implement, go back. One chapter, implement, go back. And that, that takes me back to the time that I was riding the bus to work. So in real estate, gas prices went up to $4.80 in 2009, and I couldn't afford gas in my car. So I got a bus pass. And my office was about 45 minutes away from my house. So I jump on the jump on the bus and I started devouring sales books, just devouring them. And then I realized something. There was a sales book, like the little red book of sales or something in it, or some other Tony Robbins book. And it said, millions sold. And I said, millions sold? Wait a second. If millions of people have read this book, why aren't there millions of millionaires? right? I know people have read this book and they're not doing very good. So what's the difference? And it hit me. They don't implement. They read it, but they don't take action on what they read. Dude, there. I'll go one further. They're not the type of person that would take the bus to work when they <laughs> needed to. And you were like that. I could tell you right there. If you take me back in time to see Nick, the guy on the bus reading a book to get better, on that bus ride, since gas is $4.80, I'm betting on that guy 10 times out of 10. It's like, I, I've always laughed, you know, Fred and I, when my business partner, when we started working together, we literally rented an office and I had this wood desk thing that wasn't quite stable enough to be considered a desk. And Fred worked off of a, my sister-in-law's card table. So like those ones are like the four metal legs that bend out. That was literally our desks for, I don't know, a year or something like that. Yeah, like maybe eight months, nine months, because pe people that are willing to do effectively what it takes, those are the ones where I'm, that's where I'm placing my bet all, every, all day, every day. Oh man. You know, you're, I can always bet on you to go correlation or causation. I always love, like you find like the, the, okay. Is that the nugget or is the nugget you're willing, you're on the bus reading a sales book and you're, you know, yeah. not quitting. You could have been reading a manual probably that day on building out infrastructure on the back end that had nothing to do with sales. Yeah. Just the fact that you were doing it. I'm like, I'm betting on that guy right there. And you know, you look, you, and you know, you look back on your guys as starting your business, right? Those are the times you kind of are proud of, right? To for sure. Point. For sure. So I have a similar story. When I, in 2011, before I opened my brokerage, I got Boontown. So my marketing budget went from three to 500 a month to 2,500 a month, you know, with pay-per-click. Yeah. And my wife is a teacher at the time and that's how much she made per month. Right. So I had to make this work, but I didn't have an office. So we were out, we were running Boomtown out of my, my home office. And I asked my buddy Brandon to move in with me for a month. I go, let's just go all in for a month. And so his desk with it was a dog kennel, right? He had a laptop on top of a dog kennel. And my wife was so embarrassed because he had, you know, a dog kennel has no place, nowhere to put your legs. 
So we went to Costco and got a fold out table, you know, one of those uh, party ta picnic tables. Yeah. But it's funny, you know, that November, 2011, I can name probably a handful of clients I still work with today that still refers business from that. That's you know, one, her name's Maureen. One of them in particular is Maureen and she's bought four homes for us. And now we have property management and I manage her properties. Yeah. And it all came from that time, right? If you draw it all the way back, isn't this market similar to that? You know, as we're doing this 2023, it's like, you know, these hard times is just playing the long game and going longer and longer, you know, for, how, for sure. how, how, how committed and willing are you to go the long-term relationship route? Now it's just like now in 2023, what you have to do are the things that we should have been doing the whole time that we got away with not doing for the yeah. last few years and could still look, I'm going to say with quotes, unquote, successful, right? So we made some money and we were, we were successful despite our actions as an industry. Whereas now that's not good enough. You actually have to do these things, which are truly like, truly they're the basics, right? At the end of the day, they are the things that should have never gone away and should never go away again in the future. Of course they will, because human beings, uh, as we are, we all have short-term memory and yeah. uh, things will quote unquote, be good again, uh, from a market perspective and it'll get easy. Uh, but for now it's like, this is where great agents are made. They're made in markets like this, or they're maybe they're not made there, but they're discovered. This is where they, they get a the chance to shine. They realize and there's a survivor bias. So when we look back on this time, the, the agents that make it are the ones that survived, right? And so they're going to be the tough ones, I think, and the ones that don't give up and also had some luck involved and they had a little bit of cash flow, capital. They took a little bit more risk and got lucky with it. But, you know, a lot of my good, really good friends and your really good friends, team leaders that are successful, you know, they did short sales and foreclosures and door knocked and expires. They did the tough stuff, right? And got beat up and beat up and beat up and, you know, had nothing left and made it work because of what's on the other end of this market. If this market is tough, and I don't even know if it's tough yet, it's different. It's really slow in terms of inventory challenges on the other end of this lot, huge opportunity, huge, especially as agent count goes down. Oh yeah. Right. The, this just going to get better and better and better. I haven't been this excited about the real estate industry as a sales professional in years, because yeah. I agree. I think there's, it's kind of like if everybody can survive, call it the next, it doesn't matter if it's six months, 18 months or 24 months or 36 months, whatever the time frame is, before it's perceived to be quote unquote good or easy again, what will happen is if you survive it, like you're in such a position to just absolutely take off like a rocket ship. If you stay consistent, if you just stay consistent and stay alive and avoid, it's like in poker, like avoid a bad beat by, by being smart, you're going, you're going to reap the rewards in a massive way as things swing back the other way, whenever that may be. It's so important. It's so important. I wrote um, an email the other day, which is basically a blog and you know, you got the 10 days of pain and the 21 days of gain. And the only thing that's changed in this market versus other markets is the time in the time you you spend with a client, a lead, a client is just longer. 
Yep. The sales so the sales cycles are longer from lead to closing. So not appointment to closing, because if you get a listing in some markets, listings still sell pretty yeah. quickly. I don't know about your market. Mine, oh, yeah. priced right, days on market. So so you might think salespeople need to understand sales cycles, the time to close, right? And so the when you get a listing, oh, the market's hot because my sales cycles are tight. Not really, because homeowners, the time it takes a homeowner to decide to put it on the market is a lot longer. That's why we have low inventory. So many homeowners are on the fence or not even interested because they have a low interest rate. So how long is it going to take for someone with a 3% interest rate to decide to put their home on the market? It's going to be a while, right? So, so what is the what is the skill that you need that's going to get you through this marketplace? Same thing with buyers. You think buyers are just going to decide seven percent, eight percent mortgages mortgage rates are in their favor? No, it's going to take them longer to find the right deal, the right price, the right selection, the right house, the right location, or have a life changed. So, the number one most important commodity or skill, not commodity, that's going to that's going to beat the competition is follow up. It's follow-up. Who's willing to follow up the longest and who has the skills to develop the deepest relationships during the follow-up? Period. Right? And so, you know, I said 10 days of pain or 21 days of gain. I'm thinking 210 days of gain, 2,000 days of gain. And see, it's so demoralizing for any new agent or agents that have been used to this, like, low-hanging fruit stuff. Right. But for me, that's so exciting because I know I have what it takes to do it. I yeah. do. Dude, right? because, yeah, yeah, I guess when you are that type of person, I feel the same way. It's like, I love when people go, what about this lead source? I'm like, oh, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate it, which is why I love it, because I know you're going to quit. And this is literally all about the will to survive and continue to follow up and continue to play the long game. I, I can't tell you how many uh, clients or prospective clients I told early on, like, I, I really, I'm not attached to when you buy or sell real estate. I'm just attached to being the person that helps you. So if you want to do it, it this year, six months, or in six years or 10 years, I will still be in business and I'm going to, I'm going to earn it every day between now and then. Right. It's it. And that's the way I truly view it. And here's, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty behind this. And I think this is where meaning comes in. And I think if the agents can find meaning in this, in this career, outside of a monetary commission check, like the real meaning, is that relationship and the impact you're having on people's lives. Like when you take a Zillow call and show them one home and they buy it, that's the worst thing you can do for your longevity. That's not a that's not a proven and repeatable model for a real estate agent's career. You know, one home, what do they think about you? Did you earn your commission after one? I think one you home? opened the door. That's it. That's it. At best, they that's think it. you opened the door. Yeah. So the beauty is one, you're you're building relationships, you're having a meaningful impact, you're you're a professional, and and you're, you know, the reinforcement is. Because I think we need a feedback loop of positive reinforcement for us to keep going. Here's the positive reinforcement. You don't give up. That's the, like, that's the number one win I have every day is I didn't give up. It's like, okay, great. So what am I going to do tomorrow? Oh, what, what gives me the positive feedback? Which is like, 
I work every day and I, and I make impacts. It's like, um, it's like the saying, like the reality is success in real estate and probably success in anything biking I'm guessing is, um, it's, it's really boring and it's not exciting to go out every single day and put in the miles or to make the phone calls and write the handwritten notes and do those things. So you've got to find something to connect excitement to, right? Because the day-to-day of what actually makes you successful, quite frankly, is just not exciting. So we've got to find, and as human beings, we need something exciting. So we've got to find something to, to attach to that is exciting. Yeah. We can know we won today because the reality is you don't, just because you go make, you might make a hundred phone calls today and connect with 30 people and have great conversations. The reality is, is none of those conversations closed today. So there's, it's hard to measure whether or not you won today, unless you're aware of, did I win or lose today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, um, now there's definitely ways to do things that are better than other ways. And I think you always have to realize something. You're going to make dumb mistakes. You're going to make stupid mistakes. You're going to forget more than you remember. And so once you understand that, then you can do something about it. I think you have to come to terms with that. As a, as a pilot, the first thing we do as pilots is you are indoctrinated and, and you have to come to realize that you are going to make a mistake. And it's almost given. Every single flight, you will make a mistake, whether it's an omission or an error, or you didn't see it, there's a blind spot. And so you tell your flight crew, like, listen, we are human, therefore we make mistakes. And that means we have to be diligent. That means we have to have procedural discipline. That means if you see me screwing up, will you do me a favor? If I skip a step on a checklist, will you do me a favor? What's that? Tell me. The best captain I ever had, the best captains I ever had that I flew with, it didn't matter how much experience they had. They had the humbleness to say, listen, you just got your license, but you know what? That's good. You're fresh. You got a new set of eyes. You see me screw up. It could kill us. So say something. I need you to speak up. And so in real estate, we're making mistakes all the time. We just got away with them the last couple of years. Yep. We skip so many steps. And a lot of agents now don't even know what the steps are. A lot of team leaders don't even know what the steps are. They have one lead source and that lead source went away. Or they have two lead sources and they're not the same anymore, right? And I know this because I coach them, right? Their profit margins are looking a little hairy, a little scarce, a little, little thin. They're a little scared, right? So... <laughs> you know, and then that's different than mistakes, but you know, we, we put all our, our eggs in one basket, but I think understanding you're going to make a mistake. I had a team leader the other day. He wants to get out production. Like Nick, I want to get out of production. I go, awesome. And I go, you're, are you working with buyers? No, I'm not working with buyers. Okay. So you, you're no longer working with the buyers. That's good. Okay. So you're going on listings. Awesome. So you need to replace your listing income, right? Your listing production. Okay, great. Awesome. So so how are you training your agents on your listing process? And he's like, well, I'm not really. I go, okay, well, you should never go on a listing appointment again alone. You should not. He goes, well, I offer it to them all the time. Oh, let me guess. You say, hey, who wants to come with me? And nobody comes. Yeah, of course. I go, if you ask everyone, no one's going to come. This is like the counterintuitiveness of asking people for help. 
Like who's available? And nobody says yes. I go, you got to go one-on-one, right? And you got to go, Kevin, I got a listing appointment at 12. You're coming with me. And why? A couple of reasons why. One, I want to invest in you. I want a model for you to take over my business. How's that sound? Oh yeah, if the team leader says, I want you to model me so you can take over my business, take over my production, that's like, hell yeah, number one. Number two, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and I need you to have my back, right? The, the moment I started taking people on every one of my listing appointments, my conversion rate went up, my, dele- my ability to delegate and hand off was like seamless because they were there. Right. And my listing assistant, my assistant became my listing partner who took over my business. Like it's, and the guy was like, he was out over at my, my office and he's like, that was worth the trip. I go, it seems basic, doesn't it? Just bring someone with you. Because I learned that as a pilot, like a solo flight is the most dangerous flight on the planet. Solo. It makes sense. Like it's, uh, it's ridiculous. The statistics. Like a solo flight is probably 17 times more dangerous than a, than a flight with two, two pilots. I hope my desire is that every team owner and aspirational future team owner that is listening to this podcast goes back at like two minutes to what you just said and writes down that script exactly the way you said it and then change it if they want to, to make it their own. But that is such that right there is worth however long this podcast lasts for somebody listening to that alone could change dude even if you just looked at it as like your own personal conversion rate is going to, I, I know i've done it i know that it's just like it's the reason why we get up in front of the room when you get up in front of the room to teach the thing you better know your shit and you're going to be more on point and more aware of what you're saying and how you're doing it the same way you're going to be in, Hey, I've got a partner here with me. And now because you're modeling for somebody on your team, you're going to, you're going to be more sharp. I promise it just, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. And you're, yeah, it's a fact. You're going to be on point. And here's the thing, the drive to the house, you're briefing them on what, you know, what, here's what I used to do. What do we know and what don't we know going yeah. into this? Yeah. Right? And we read a lot. Okay. We know their names. We know their email. We know how long they owned it. Well, we don't know where they're going. We don't know their motivation. We don't know this. Oh, okay. Well, we need to figure that out. And then on the, in the ride home debrief. All right. What's the download? What we learned, what we didn't learn. Like yeah. Tiffany in my office, but after a year, I, Tiffany rode with me for a year. And I actually think I, I think Chris Heller did the same thing um, to get out of production um, as well. And so this is like a proven thing. Look at the medical industry. You do residency. You ever, you ever go to the hospital or whatever, and the doctor comes in and there's like PAs and others. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Like everybody listen to this. We're professionals. Let's start acting like professional industries. Like this is a new stuff here. Right, we're we're running solo, and team leaders we're letting people run solo. It's crazy to me, but you know I'm I'm at fault too because of convenience. Right, most people leave to the appointment from their house, and it's an extra step, and it's it takes time. Okay, 
but you're going to get so much more back. You're going to get so much more back. It's unreal. It is unreal. And I wouldn't be here today and I wouldn't have written a book if I didn't do that. I, I try, I try to get out of production five times and I got pulled back in every time because their conversion rate wasn't as good. They were skipping steps. Their, their paperwork was sloppy and my listing coordinators were complaining. And guess what? I had to get back in the business because the revenues, right? But yeah. at some point, you know, you, 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 you transfer that procedural knowledge over to them and they can repeat it. Let's um, switch subjects for a second. Since we're talking about partnerships and we're talking about helping others and kind of going, not going solo, talk to me about this new, about Reside. I'd love to hear um, for, the, for the listeners that don't know, tell me who are your partners and what, what is Reside for the person who's listening right now that never heard of it till right this second. Yeah, so the Reside platform is a platform for teams, aspiring teams and teams to grow and get to their goals quicker. And the reason why it's kind of stated that way is, you know, when I started a real estate team, there was some tech, some CRMs, and we really piecemealed it together over years. And at this point, you know, there's actually a proven system, there's there's proven ways of running a team and we're offering people those things like software, CRM, IDX website, leadership training, agent training and onboarding training and financials. So it's really like the backbone of a real estate team that we're just providing you that we know works. So it came about because John Sheplack Preston Guyton in Myrtle Beach. He owns Palms Realty. And Sunit Agarwal in uh, Sacramento. We were coaching one-on-one clients. And, you know, we in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you can tell them what to do to a certain extent. You can uncover some things and they need to implement. Well, let's be honest. You know, here's, here's the truth. Most don't have the time to implement. They get off the coaching call. They're motivated. But then the whirlwind catches in. Right. So they don't really get the website up and running. They don't really get the CRM and the automations put together. So we were like, well, we want to, we want to align. I think it was an alignment problem. We want to align with our clients at a deeper and more impactful level. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to put on our boots and we're going to have to go to work. And what if we provided them with everything they need to build off of? We're not going to do everything for them, but we're going to help them build off of that. And that's why it's called a platform. So that's part of it. So we decide, okay, what will we offer? We would offer the CRM, follow-up boss, website, Sierra. Every leader part, every leader that's on reside is going to be working under the same tech stack and the same system so that when we train them or implement something, it can be, it can be scaled across the North America. Same financial reporting systems, okay? And then it's like, okay, well, agents, if you want to build your team, you need to recruit. You need to bring agents on. And what happens is agents are, our team leaders are hesitant to bring agents on because they're in production or they're busy. And they feel like it's going to take them back a step. And so we do their agent onboarding training. So once a month, we have a new class and we do the agent onboarding. In fact, to 
yeah, as we're recording this tomorrow, I have three classes. So I'm actually training like 300 agents tomorrow, new agents. And then we do weekly sales trainings because I, the other thing about running a team is you got to be really good on your sales meetings. Like you got to be really, really good. Like you get those agents, they're like hurting cats and accountability is really hard. It really is. Good luck with that. But you can get a really, you, you can effectively get your agents in one room, one, two, three days a week and for an hour and kick some butt. And so we do a weekly sales training on Thursdays. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the meat and bones, the meat and bones of it. And you know this from your experience with next level agents, then it becomes the community. Yeah. Yeah. Then it becomes a community. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it's been really cool. It's been the focal point of all of our careers at this point. And we've, I've never seen the level of contribution and the level of activity on a private Facebook group ever. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are in the real estate industry. Like, is this the evolution of teams where teams get uh, a consulting service, basically a consulting suite of services? My hunch is yes. Um, my, my answer is yes. My hunch is it's going to become a big portion of it because it is going to continue to be harder and harder to compete, to build long-term. And so the more we can get from a community or a platform or some sort of hybrid of the two, the, the bet, those are going to be the survivors in my opinion, right. Or the, the vast majority of the survivors. I think that, um, I never like to, I never like to break out a crystal ball, but my, but if I did my hunch is, you know, five years down the road, seven years down the road, it's just going to be harder and harder for the average agent and the average team to, I don't want to say survive, but make the kind of money that they want to make. Well, and I think what, this is what happened too, Kevin. Like when you went from agent to team 10 years ago, you, you being a team was the competitive advantage in your marketplace. The mm -hmm. fact that you were a team and that you had good splits and you lead generated in a, in an abundance manner and you, you, in your marketplace, you look like an 800 pound gorilla because you had agents everywhere. And the, and the broker owners got away from actually providing leads and service and training, right? Because their splits got terrible, right? They got, they're like, why should I invest in my agents? I just need to monetize them for print copy, printer copies and staffing, Right. Yep. And I'll just lease out my space to them. That's my new model. So what happened is the broker owner model was just monetization on a monthly basis or a transactional basis. And so teams emerged to fill in the gap of what the broker owner didn't provide. And they were, they had an advantage in the marketplace. And then now there's so many teams. There's, there's agents that start teams from day one. Yeah. This so is the next iteration. It's the next iteration where it's like, well, being a team doesn't give you any competitive advantage except for you're broke now, right? Yeah. And so then they're chasing, and then there's so many, so many teams buying the same lead sources. The lead costs went through the roof, and it became harder and harder to make money as a team. And so a lot of a lot of times on Reside, people that are joining, um, they're getting rid of stuff. 
they're getting alerted of a lot of stuff. We're like, seriously, you're paying for this, that, the other, and X, Y, B, C. Whoa, 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 whoa. Seriously? Like, it, who, who a- cares what you pay me? We're going to just get rid of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, Kevin, there's, there's teams with like three CRMs, three websites. Oh, I believe like, it. Giving agents a hundred leads a month and they're calling four of them. I'm like, what? On a good month. It's like, no wonder. And, and you know, and, and, and I'm not saying this is about our reside clients. I'm just saying teams in general. It's like, oh yeah, you're selling hundred, 200 homes. Yeah. But you're working a lot and you're really not bringing home much except outside of what you do. So that bears, that begs the question. Then why are you doing it? If you're not making more money and you're working harder, why are you doing this? I've had that conversation with more people than I can even, than I would have ever imagined. And some of it's money. Well, the the thought that I will eventually make money, but also with the the light at the end of the tub- tunnel that I can make money and build this so that I can make money and not have to do the lift and haul. Like that's the thing. And you can call it freedom, right? But yeah. And um, I think that's the story most tell themselves. Mm-hmm. But the thing that, that they're missing is they know not all, a lot of them then don't do the necessary stepping out of like, they keep control of too much. Mm-hmm. And so they stay in this perpetual state of like, truly their income is their own personal production. And then everything else, like the team's a loss leader, like they lose on it. So they might be getting awards and they feel good about it. And their, you know, their unit count is going up every year. And maybe even their bank account is like something that they're happy with. But the problem is, is their bank account is filled only by themselves. And if they just sold less houses, they'd actually make more money and have more free time and, and a lot fewer problems. Not that that's the answer, but the thing is, is you eventually you have to draw a line in the sand to go, Hey, I'm going to be a business owner and not a salesperson. And it's okay to be either one. And it's okay to be both for a while, but eventually you have to pick one. Otherwise you're just, otherwise it's, it's maddening. It's maddening. It is maddening. And it's like, you know, you always take yourself back. I think when it comes to reside, it's like, okay, if I were starting a team from scratch, would I, would I have benefited from this? You know, would that have helped me profoundly? And I, and I think for us, it was a resounding yes. And it's not for everybody. And, you know, you can build, you could totally just do it on your own. It's one of those things where you can buy the book and do it. Yep. You know, in fact, you can buy the book. And you literally it. can buy the book. You and can just literally do it. Can buy the book. Um, but, you know, also, you know, do you want to do it with someone else and other people that are doing the same thing? That's kind of fun too. I think that the community aspect that you you've created and you know other companies like exp and and others that are Keller Williams and you know they create that that environment that mastermind you know the mastermind we had the private mastermind wasn't one that's like we're gonna we're gonna pay an entrance fee once a year it was i already know you guys because i meet with you once a week on our leadership calls and now we're just seeing each other face to face it's a deeper mastermind it's a deeper connection where I, you ever notice that about masterminds, they went from the original concept, Napoleon Hill to an event. They became events. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. It's the, just, word, the word mastermind is like become like the word Kleenex. It means, it means event now, not like it's this catch all phrase and it's not actually, it's almost never truly a mastermind or it's like, it's used to for a class, not a mastermind, but they'll still call it a mastermind. Cause it's got like catchy name to it. So people want to go to a mastermind with other smart people, as opposed to going to a class or something. Yeah. But you know, I think you could probably pinpoint a handful of times in your career where you and you were in a room that was truly a mastermind. Absolutely. And it was in, in, intimate. It was transparent. It was the level of sharing was at a whole nother level. And just the, the way that it evolved, that conversation, the questioning, um, and then the connections you made and that you reached out to those people afterwards. Like I still have people like 10 years, friends for 10 years because of one mastermind like thing. And so like recreating that's in, that was really important to us. It's really, that's why we do two events a year. Now, naturally, Kevin, as things grow, that's going to be harder and harder to do. I think at some point you become an event. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any way around that? I, I think there's probably not at scale um, with the exception of like, basically you have to have a group within a group. It's kind of like, you ever watch, do you ever see one of the greatest movies of all time, Point Break? It's a group within a group. Oh, yeah. It's a group within a group. Like it's going to be the dead presidents guys who go rob the bank together <laughs> that, uh, that can truly have a mastermind forever. But at a certain point, it does become a class um, or an event. And I'm not, I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No, there's a place for events. There's totally a place. It's just a, it's kind of like a natural evolution. Yeah. I think so too. I think so too. Dude. So, so I think people, anyone that's out there, it's like, find, find that group, whatever it is, you know, out in your market or probably outside your market. I don't know why there's something about talking to someone in an other market that you know is not going to come in your market. Yeah. I think people, um, there's some people who are willing to be open, uh, in, in market. I've always been one of those people and I've found, I've always found some of those people. And, um, I think the majority of people feel more comfortable knowing that they're sharing with somebody who's not like down the hall. Yeah. You know, that was a, that's probably a limiting belief on my part, because if someone in my market came to me, I I'm at the point in my career. I'd give it all away. You know what I mean? I hundred percent. I think what you learned is first, and you know, this already is first of all, almost no one's going to take it. They're not going to, they're not going to implement it. You could literally give it all away. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing that you, that you discover from that is the sure amount of goodwill that you build within the marketplace and your peers would far exceed what you quote unquote lost or gave up by giving it away. That was my, mm. that was my experience. Um, and always has been my experience with it, uh, or th those two things. And so I've always felt like it's been a net gain for me, um, to truly have give, been given it away from day one with the short sale world, like training, literally training thousands of agents in town with the exact process that we used for short sales back, back in the short sales days. Uh, and we still, we still operate the same way today. And 
the reality is, is if the room's got 50 people in it, like three or four people might take action. But the cool oh. thing is 80% of that room is going to have a positive, you know, correlation with you. And a small percentage of that room is actually going to refer you business to. That's true. And so it's, it's always, and then, you know, it's, so it's, it ends up being a net positive in my experience. Um, and for every one bad interaction or that one guy or girl that maybe misuses the information, there's usually like 10 good experiences to wipe that out. hundred percent. A hundred percent. I always think about like, what's the, where's the real, where's the true value in things and, and, and what really works. And we talked about longevity, right. And playing the long game and the commitment early on about follow-up. And I thought about reside in the, and the sales rhythms, right? So every single week we have a sales meeting and we could say it's the best sales meeting on the planet. Okay. Is it? Maybe not, but I can tell you this, it's going to happen every week, no matter what. And and it's going to happen at a high level every week. So I thought about this because there was a team leader recently I was talking to and, and she went on vacation for three weeks, 16 days. And her phone was blowing up the whole time, right? With questions. And, I, and I, that was one thing. But the other thing was, I'm thinking, who was running your sales meetings? Like, did your agents just have free for all? Like, how are you going to hold them? Like, who, where's the backstop? Where's the backstop? Where's the safety net here? You know, um, and I think there's a lot of value in that, in that you always have that meeting going, even when you're not at your best, there's something there that that's sticky, that's valuable, that gets your people to show up. And that's, as a team leader, I think that's the number one thing you can do every day is not tell them what to do, but Get them to show up, get them in the door, get them on the phone, get them in the MLS, get them in the CRM, just get them to show up and then good things will happen. The more I can get them to show up, the better they are. Now, yeah. And I took a lot of that pressure off of me as a team leader is like, you know, I can't be constantly telling you to make phone calls. I can't, it's not good for my psyche. It's not good for my health. It's not good for my longevity. It's not why I'm a team leader is to tell you to make phone calls. Right. That's not it. I'm done doing it. I'm done. But I will tell you to show up at a team meeting because it's freaking awesome. It's my favorite part of my day, you know, and, and uh, I want to invest in you as a human being. Kevin, it's always a pleasure. I don't know if we're at the end of this, but yeah, I love that. Real Before we go, where do I get the, where do we get the book? Amazon All million right. dollar, million dollar agent, Nick McLean, like MC lean. That's my DJ name. MC lean, you know, M clean. So yeah, million dollar agent and you'll find it. There has the audible version, the Kindle version and the paperback version. Guys go out and get it. I promise you, you will absolutely not regret it. Um, so go to, go to Amazon, look that up. We'll put a, we'll just put a direct link in the show notes as well. And then um, if someone wants to learn about reside, where do they go? Find me and reach out to me at this point. Uh, you're going to go reside resideplatform.com so reside r-e-s-i-d-e platform.com um that's our homepage. that should be up real shortly so by the time this launches yeah resideplatform.com perfect guys do that reach out to nick we'll put uh social links and whatnot too any anything uh 
last message or anything you want to say before we go? No, I just, it's always an honor to talk to you. I just love our conversations. You're really great at interviewing and because it shows that you are like me and you're very curious and you just like learning more and talking to cool people. And not that I'm cool, but you know, you are keep doing it, man. Keep, I tell you, keep, I'm so proud of you to be so consistent no matter what. Um, so it's always an honor to be on here. Appreciate it, brother. All right, Nick, guys, go out, check it out. Um, share this interview with someone because I promise you, Nick dropped some gold nuggets here. And uh, as always, man, it was a pleasure to hang out for a little bit today. Thanks, Kevin. All right, guys, we'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're looking for even more valuable content and resources to help you grow your business, then we invite you to join our community, Next Level Agents at eXp Realty. By joining us, you'll gain access to exclusive benefits like live trainings, events, masterminds, weekly Zooms, digital downloads, and so much more, all designed to help you grow your business. To learn more and become a part of our community, simply visit kevinandfred.com forward slash contact and get in touch with us today. Of course, if you're not quite ready to take the plunge and join our community, that's no problem at all. You can still access all of our great content for free right here on this podcast. And again, we thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing to bring you valuable insights and more advice in the future.